to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. It's just amazing to see these guys in action. I mean, they're all like preachers, you know. Like talking about the redemption, talking about freedom. I mean, it's just incredible. I think God has blessed our church with some amazing people. Don't you think so? I mean, give God a praise offering. Come on. Woo! Hey, man, as uh, we're worshiping, my mind can't help but uh, drifted back to uh, when I first came to know Jesus. All right, when you sang about His mercy, when, 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 when you sang about uh, the cross, when you sang about freedom, I remember there was a time when I didn't have that in my life. At 13, 14 years old, you may think, oh, but you're so young. But at 13, 14 years old, we're asking life's questions. We're really wondering what is life about. And there was a time in my life where there wasn't God in my life, where this God-shaped vacuum in my life was still empty and life didn't make much sense back then. And when I sang about the cross, sang, I sang about Jesus, it just brought back tremendous memories of uh, you know, the day when, when you know Jesus Christ. And that transforms your whole life, doesn't it, church? I mean, there, there was a time before Christ in your life. You may be partying, you may be having a ball of a life, but looking back now, you wouldn't want to go back there, do you? So... I think our church exists to help people know God. Not because we, we want to add bums on seats, but because we know what life is like without Jesus. Exactly, I was just about to go there. In children's church, we used to teach our kids, life without Jesus is like a... Like a... Like a... Life without... It's like a... Why? Hole in the middle of my heart. But we exist to help people know God. For those who don't know Jesus yet, we, we want to introduce the Savior to them. But for those of us who know Christ, we want to know Him more. Yes, we, we want to know Jesus more intimately. There is so much more about Jesus that we don't know yet. And we want to help the church know God more. And that's why we've got life groups. That's why we've got youth ministries. That's why we've got children's church. Because the children's church exists to help people know God, to help children know God. Our family ministries, the cells, we, we exist to help families know God. And that's why we exist. We want to know God more. And that's what the Bible says. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 9 and verses 23 and 24, it says, this is what the Lord says, let not the wise men uh, boast of their wisdom or their strong boasts of their strength or the rich boasts of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. The only thing we can boast as people is that we know Him. I mean, not, not how much money we have in the bank, how, how strong we are, or, or, or how wise we are, but how much we know God. Amen. I read a quote this week by David McGee that convicted me, especially after Alpha, and you talk to people who are asking questions. And David McGee, who was a singer that became a pastor and now has got a worldwide teaching ministry, he says this. He said, we should be more concerned 
with reaching the lost and pampering the saved. Perhaps as a church, we could be a bit more concerned about reaching the lost than pampering ourselves. Making the place nicer, having better programs for our children. Now, these are all amazing things that we want to do for our people. But maybe we can be a little bit more concerned about those who don't know Jesus yet. Carl Zinzendorf founded this order. Of course, we know that uh, he was the person behind the Moravians that prayed for 100 years. But what we probably don't know is he founded the order of the mustard seed. Don't you like that? The order of the mustard seed. And the order of the mustard seed had three guiding principles. Number one, be kind to all people. Number two, seek their welfare. But number three is to win them to Christ. To win them to Christ. This morning, I want to talk to you about evangelism. And evangelism is a three-legged stool. Say a three-legged stool. And may I suggest to you that we need all three legs if we, are to, if we are to be effective in reaching people for Christ. Not one or the other. If there's, if there's a mul- uh, multiple choice, it's all of the above. It's option D. We need all three st- uh, legs for the stool to stand. And we need all three uh, legs for us to be effective witness. For Jesus, and there's no excuse. We can't blame blame it on our personality for us not being outward looking. All right, we need all three legs, and so let's dive in. Let let me talk briefly about all three legs this morning. Say three legs. Amen. The first leg of the stool of evangelism, I call it live and show. Say live and show. Live and show. Now, some Christians, like Andrew on my right will approach a total stranger and open the conversation with something like this. Hello! I'd like to ask you if you know Jesus as a personal Lord and Savior. Why not? And he, he will just go after souls like D.L. Moody who said that he can't sleep until he talked to one unchurched person about the gospel. And I was speaking to Andrew and he said that was how life was like for him when he first became a Christian. And he told me, I'm backsliding. I said, really? Why? Are you sinning? He says, no, because I'm no longer witnessing as passionately for Jesus. Now, this is, this is what some amazing people like Andrew would do on, on a regular basis. And this is highly commendable. But for some of us, it doesn't really work because we have got no credibility with, with that stranger. There is no established trust factor that would give us an open door for sharing our faith. Now, there's a place for that to embolden us in our Christian witness. But for most of us, it's challenging. But in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus gave us a key in reaching people for Him. So let's read Acts 1, verse 8. On the screen, please. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Can you read, read, read that? It says, be, Hey, guys, this is, for, this is so we can focus on the Word. Come on, church. You, you can... Zoom in and focus on the word. Acts 1.8 You shall be witnesses. Now, Jesus was very deliberate when He says be witnesses. 
There are various forms of the word witness in the NIV New Testament. To be specific, 42 times, NIV says witness. Uh, can I say that not one of those 42 occurrences in the expression to witness is the expression for us to do witnessing. We are not called to witness, but to be a witness. Are you with me? We are not called to just go around to do witnessing, to pass out tracts, and uh, to share the false spiritual law. Now, these are all great, but you know, as wonderful as those things are, the Bible says we are to be. Say be. Turn to the person next to you and say be. be. And being a Christian witness involves your entire life, your whole life, not just words. And this is the essence what some people call lifestyle evangelism. And St. Francis of Assisi puts it this way. He said, preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, and use words. Now, I believe in using words, but this is exactly what he was driving at, that living like a Christian, people must see that your lifestyle reflect the character and the glory of God. Amen. When I was growing up, my pastors and church leaders would tell me I'm the fifth gospel that people read. And so I didn't understand, now, what do you mean? And then they explained, Daniel, there's the gospel of Matthew, the gospel of Mark, the gospel of Luke, the gospel of John, and that's the gospel of Daniel. Because most non-believers wouldn't read the gospel of John as much as you push the gospel of John to them. When they read through the first chapter, they get confused. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. So who exactly is the Word? But they will read your life and they would draw a conclusion about the case of Christ by observing you. So we had, we had a fifth gospel that people would read. The gospel according to Andrew. The gospel according to Shuen. The gospel according to Andre, the gospel according to Mel, the gospel according to our lives. How does Jesus look like in our lives? And Billy Graham, the famous evangelist, says it this way. He says, we are, we are the Bibles the world is reading. We are the creeds the world is needing. We are the sermons the world is heeding. And this evangelist is still alive pushing 100 years old, but still speaking. So, so the question is, knowing that we are to live and show, how can we obey His command to be Christian witnesses? I believe, first of all, we are called to be salt of the earth. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Pardon the PowerPoint. You can tell that I'm not gifted to do PowerPoints, but I try my best. So give God all the glory and give Daniel some sympathy. Okay, so be salt means that we are to be a flavor and to be a preservative to all those who are around us. So living and showing means that when we live for God before people, we, we will impart a positive flavor. A positive flavor to any group that you're a part of in your school. If you are salty, you will flavor your classmates, you will flavor your CCA groups, you will flavor your workmates, your fellow colleagues, you will flavor their lives with the kingdom, joy, peace, happiness, kindness, goodness, you will reflect the flavor of the kingdom. Be salt. But also, as you are salty, you will become a preserving force against corruption. You won't 
join in the corruption. You wouldn't be as vulgar as your friends would be. You wouldn't participate in the dirty jokes that they are telling. You wouldn't compromise on your standard at work. You will be excellent as a Christian witness. You will push back the power of corruption when you are living salty lives. That's what it means. Live and show. Be salty. But also, Jesus, in the same breath, went on to say, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 to 16, that you are the light of the world. You're supposed to shine. The light gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So, in other words, it's not just walking around saying nothing but you should walk around doing something that the world should see us exhibiting and expressing the goodness of God through our actions and deeds, and they will give praise to our, Lord, to, to our Father in, in heaven. We are to be light. And like what Billy Graham said, rather than to curse the darkness in our prayers, all we need to do is to turn on the light, flip the switch, and when you walk into your classrooms, to your workplace, to your army camps, to your environment, switch on the lights and darkness will flee. Amen? I've never been to a place where people can turn on the darkness. Because darkness is passive, light is active. When you flip the switch, light comes in, darkness flees, regardless of how, how strong or how dim the light is. One little candle can light an entire room. A little, a little torch light on your iPhone, you know, as you flash it, you know, can actually brighten the path before you, regardless of whether you are just one person in your school or you are part of the hundred of Christian witnesses. Flip the switch, press the button, turn on the lights, and the world will see you shine. Amen? Amen. Come on. Amen. You are the light. Your good works point others to God. Your good deeds can cause others to give praise to your Father in heaven. See, friends, we are witnesses and we are witnessing for Christ through our actions, through our lifestyle, not just our words. Say, live and show. Turn to the person next to you and say, live and show. I was brainstorming with Andre on this point. He says, arise and shine. I like that too. And I want to give you a charge this morning on this point. Isaiah 60, verse 1 to verse 3. Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. If you're a Christian, Christ in you is the hope of glory. Your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you, not for you to feel goosebumps when you worship or roll on the floor when the anointing comes upon you, so that what heathens and nations may come to the brightness of your rising. Friends, when you arise, when you shine, people will be attracted to the light. It reminds me of when we were preaching in the Philippines. Some of you may remember. And there was just one light bulb and the whole place was dark. And guess what? As I was preaching, I was very animated. Not because, and I, and I, and I am, but because there were flies all over me and I was trying to do this. Why? Because flies will be attracted to the light. Likewise, people in the world will be attracted to your life when you shine. Amen? Arise and shine. Turn to the person next to you and say, Arise and shine. That's the first leg. Live and show. Arise and shine. But the second leg, and we need this. All right? And this is not something that we're doing great as a local church. And let's make the shift this morning. 
Leg number two is come and see. Turn to the person next to you and say, come and see. In John chapter 1, very small on the screen, verses 43 to 46. Let, let me read for you from my, from my notes. The, 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 the next day, Jesus... Hey, oh, not bad. Jesus... <laughs> decided to go to Galilee. So there he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. And now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found the net, Nathanael, and said, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Turn to the person next to him and say, Come and see. See, friends, Philip invited Nathanael to come and see Jesus. He said, we found the one Moses and the prophets wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth. And so when Nathanael questions whether any good could come out of Nazareth, Philip says, come and see. And likewise, this is, this is another leg of the gospel we have to, of evangelism. We have to invite people, come and see. When they look at your life and say, what's wrong or what's right about you? Or, Where do you go on Sunday? How come always on Monday you are, feel, you are different? People have got, got Monday blues. You are like Monday you know, on Sky High. Why? Church, come and see. My Christian community, come and see. Invite them to come and see. And then, so when Nadana came and saw Jesus, Jesus actually revealed surprising knowledge about Nathaniel, causing Nathaniel to respond, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. So basically what Jesus did was Jesus moved in the gift of the word of knowledge and Jesus told Nathaniel that he saw him under a fig tree. Now, this is a church that believes in spiritual gifts and I pray that all of us would activate our gifts and we can just starting uh, to tell people, oh, when you, I just saw you, I, I, I keep seeing that on Wednesday you were in this living room and you were, man, gives in action. And, and then the, the people say, well, how do you know? I just know God. And so this is exactly what happened to Daniel. You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So in other words, when the Daniel sees the power of God, he was brought to a place of faith. Come and see. Jesus then invited the Daniel to come and see the kingdom for himself. And this is, this is what he said. He went on and he says, you believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree. So in other words, Jesus was saying to Nathaniel that there's something even greater than just me practicing my spiritual gifts. Jesus is saying that you will see even greater things than this. You will see the kingdom for verily I say to you, you will see the heaven open and the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So in other words, Jesus is inviting Nathaniel to come and see more. After tasting and seeing, he says there is more. There is more. So come and see is the second leg in our mission to help people know God. But the question then is, come and see what? Come and see what? What would we show people? Where would we take them? Where would they see God? In our service? In our life groups? In our home? See, I'm quite sure that Jesus wasn't saying, come and see an institution. He's not saying, come and see 50 McPherson of, or, or TPI. Or, he's not saying, come and see how beautiful uh, the space is. And 
the music. I believe that Jesus, when He says, come and see, He means come and see God and the kingdom of God. So question is, what are His characteristics of the kingdom? What, what should the kingdom represent? And see, friends, I really believe as I thought about this message that perhaps, perhaps, friends, perhaps these characteristics are more present in our midst, in your life groups, than we realize. Perhaps we have been ignorant of how much the kingdom that you are expressing when you meet on Friday nights, for some of you, or Thursday for some of you. And if you don't, I want to challenge you. Go after the kingdom. Not social groups, not just having a fun time talking about food. Go after Jesus, express the kingdom. But if you are, you will be surprised that the world is hungry for that. So if you did invite people to your life groups, they might. They might just genuinely see people talking about God in their lives. See people caring for one another, people praying for one another, hearing stories of how God answers prayers, hearing uh, perhaps stories from their friends of how God answers prayers, seeing people glowing because God speaks to them. Life groups in action. Perhaps they might be hungry for that because that's what the world is hungering for. If you invite people to our church service, perhaps they will see a family. They will see a community. They will see a group of people that are gracious at, at the speaker from the front that doesn't do a good PowerPoint. And they still laugh at him and still listen to him speak and not walk out and say, give my money back. I mean, they, perhaps they, they, they see us genuinely worshipping Jesus with love. Even though the drummer may play out of beat, the singer goes out of tune, but the church is genuinely worshipping God. Perhaps they might see that and be attracted to a system and to an expression that is uncommon in the world. Perhaps they'll be loved by church people who take a genuine interest. Perhaps you will go up to them and prophesy and pray and give them a hug. Perhaps they will see seven-hearted people who come every Sunday at 7 p.m. who works on Monday but rehearsing and preparing for service. Those who come at 8.30 to prepare food. Perhaps they will see servanthood in action. Perhaps if you invite people to our church service, they might just see the kingdom. Or maybe into your homes and they, they, they might see us living for Jesus first as families. Come on, church. I mean, they, they, they see us loving one another in spite of our differences in the house. Or they might see how Christian families cope with challenges around chores and children. <laughs> they might see children fighting and the parents are showing patience or being real and screaming and saying, I'm sorry, son. You know, the world is hungry to see something real and genuine because everything else is, is fake. It's all commercialized. It's not authentic. And the world is craving, friends, to see the church living out their faith in a real and authentic manner. Imperfect leaders from the front. Imperfect parents trying by God's grace to raise great kids. And the world is hungry for reality. Come on, church. See, friends, we are the outposts of the kingdom. I believe Jesus, when He said the kingdom of God is among us, He, he means that. I believe that our churches are little outposts of the kingdom that allow people to see a type of community that stands in stark contrast to the world around them. We are different. And we don't mind being different. 
We are upside down. If you want to be greatest, you will serve. If you want to you know, be rich, you will give. If you want to be a leader, you must be servant of all. We, we don't mind being different. Amen? And the world is craving for something different. They are, they are waiting for the next big thing. What comes after smartphone? 3G, 4G, 5G that doesn't no longer excites people because the world is bought by a greater version. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> I, I believe what they're looking for is something beyond technology, beyond the show on Sunday. They're looking for reality. Amen. They can smell fake from afar off, counterfeit worship from afar off, performance from afar off. They're looking for genuine faith in action. And that's what we want to be. Amen. So we can say, come and see. Come and see a church that makes mistakes. And we, of course, do debrief, try to improve ourselves. But we are real people. And I say this to some of you who might be here expecting us to be perfect. I'll say this as genuinely as possible. We'll never get there. <laughs> but if you want us to be real, I think we are probably very, very real. <laughs> but we are God's spiritual outpost. Amen? So, we need to live and show. That's one leg. Because that will actually give you the credibility to invite people. When you say, come and see. And that's exactly what happened to me when I was in Poly. Friends of mine. Now, I wasn't perfect. I was missing school. You know, <laughs> uh, sometimes I'll be playful. But when I was in Polytechnic, people would come up to me and said, Daniel, you are a spiritual person. I said, yes, I am. You love God? I do. You read the Bible? Yes. And they would ask me questions about life at 17 years old. They would tell me their problems, their challenges, their issues. They would, they, they would share with me the struggles that they have in relationships. They will share with me you know, their temptations of, of even going into a, an affair with married people. And, and here I was, 17, 17 years old. I said, why are you telling me all that? But they were attracted. And I said, come and see. And they, and they came and they saw, and a few of them came to know Christ as a result of that. Praise the Lord. And it reminds me of my wife who was the lowest ranking employee, if I could say, uh, in her last job before she came on staff in church. And she would tell me that her bosses, who were directors, who were earning four or five times more than uh, she did, would come up to her and say, what's, what's right about your, your marriage? What's right about uh, your family? Why is your husband always here waiting for you? Oh, no, my husband is always gone. And, and they would say, and she would, would say, I don't know. And she's invited a few, come and see. It's not how high ranking you are, how, how well-known influential you are. It's how loud you live out your Christian life. It's how bright you are. It's how salty you are. It's how much of the kingdom is inside you. Because when the kingdom of God is in you, that's when you can start to have strength and authority when you say, come and see. But we need the third leg. And that's go and tell. Turn to the person next to you, the other side, and say, go and tell. Go and tell. See, in Mark chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, Jesus said to the man whom he freed from the legions of demons, right? So imagine you are the man who was possessed by legions. And that means like 
thousands of demons and he was living in bondage like what John was saying in bondage in the cave and he was uh, you know cutting himself and he was in torment he was in pain and he was and he was struggling with life for who knows how long and then here comes Jesus if you know don't, if you don't know the story if you read the Bible in context Jesus actually went out of his way just to talk to this man nothing else you know he went across the boat there was a storm if you remember the story he went there and when his foot set, you know, on the on when he sets foot on the ground, the, the demonic, the man with the legions came, fell under uh, on his knees and begged Jesus to leave him alone. And of course, Jesus cast out the demons into swine, the pigs committed suicide, and then the man was clothed. And next scene, Jesus left. He went across the river. So Jesus went out of his way for this demon-possessed man. And so no wonder, after he was set free, this man came to Jesus and said, I want to follow you, Jesus. But what Jesus said was fascinating. Jesus said to this man, just go home. (laughs) Tell your friends the great things that the Lord has done for you. And the Bible says in verse 20, he didn't, he didn't debate with Jesus. He says, this man departed and began to publish in the King James Version, which means to witness, to preach, to tell people in Decapolis. And the people marvel. Go and tell your friends. Go and tell your family members. Go and tell your, your colleagues. Go, go and tell. Yes, live and show. Yes, come and see. But the third leg, if you want to stand as a Christian witness, is... Go and tell. And the first two letters of the, of the word gospel is the word? Geo, go! And Jesus commanded His disciples to go. He, in fact, He says, go into all the world. He says, go. He says, as you go, make disciples. And Jesus didn't just say it. He did it. He, in Mark chapter 1, verse 38, He says, let's go. Go where? To the next towns that I may preach there also for, for this reason that I came. Let's go. In Luke chapter 10, verse 1 to verse 3, He sent His disciples out two by two and He said, Go, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. In John 15, verse 16, in explaining fruitfulness, Jesus said, I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. In Luke 15, verse 4, before the story of the good father and the prodigal son, there was a shepherd who was a good shepherd. And the good shepherd would leave the 99 sheep and the Bible says, and go after that one lost sheep. I want to land this morning with the story of the four lepers. I've talked about that a couple of months back in 2 Kings chapter 7, but I'll look at it from a different angle. 2 Kings chapter 7 and I want to read one verse and give you the context. And verse 9 says, Then they said to each other, What we're doing is not right. This is the day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment may overtake us. Let us go at once and report to the royal palace. Now, I'll give you a context for those who don't know the story. Samaria in this story is under siege. The Syrians have destroyed the country and the surrounded uh, a city. Food has grown scarce, and relief seems further off than at the beginning. And there are four lepers. Picture them. They are so weak that they can hardly move. The last scrap of food has been eaten. They have reached their limits for when tomorrow dawns, it will certainly mean death. 
So these four lepers are between a rock and a hard place. Death if they go towards the enemy's camp, but there was food there. And death if they stay, there's no food here. But they chose to go. And God rewarded them with a mighty victory because they did something. For some of you who are in, in between a rock and a hard place, perhaps you can do something. All right, but I want to give you, give you three reasons why we should go and tell others. Reason number one from this story, because of what we have. As Christians, because of what we have, these four lepers, when they went into the when, when he went to the Syrian camps, they found food. All right, they had almost all they wanted for the present. Once they were starving, now they have food. Once hopeless, now they were filled with a new feeling, ecstasy, joy, food. Wow! Eat my heart's content. God fought our battle. The enemy is gone. We can enjoy, be merry, and be happy. Once sad and discouraged, now they are glad. And no wonder they exclaim in this verse, we're not doing right. This is the day of good news. They could not remain silent. But friends, as we think about this story, what had they compared to what you and I have in Jesus Christ? Their salvation is only physical and temporal. Ours is spiritual and eternal. Yes, they have been freed from the pangs of hunger, but friends, we have been freed from the power of sin. We can choose to live for Jesus. Don't you think we've got something worth giving to other people? And that's my second point, because of what the world needs, because of what they need, because of what the people outside these four walls, our friends, what they need. We have something worth giving. And are we going to be selfish? Am I going to be selfish? Do we dare keep it all for ourselves? All this food, all this joy, all this peace, all these wonders, all these revelations of who Jesus is, all these amazing testimonies that we have in Christ, will we keep this to ourselves? Or do we, as these four poor lepers did for a starving city, go and tell them? See, Samaria was starving from a lack of food. But our world is starving from a lack of hope and love. Within the, 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 the walls of Samaria were thousands of men and women dying of hunger. If you read the story in context, mothers were cooking their children just to live a few more days. Now, we don't do this nowadays, but the high-pressured society that, that we're in, parents are cooking their children in school. You have to study, study, study. If not, you will miss out on life and everything is just doing uh, out of fear. Where's the hope? Where's the... Where is the wonder? Where is the vision? Where is the dream? Making ends meet. And yet all of us who are Christians, we found all this in Jesus. We can live a dreamy life. I want to change the world. <laughs> Hallelujah. But can you imagine a greater need? See, they needed food and lepers know it. That's why they went. But friends, Millions, if not billions in the world are perishing. They need the bread of life. And we have the bread of life. We sang about the bread of life, Jesus. We partook of the bread of life this morning. The communion element. We are filled with grace. 
We can sing about His name. We can think about His love. But many couldn't. We've heard the good news. But what about the world around us? What about our friends, our family members? See, the greatest joy, apart from the day I came to know Christ, is when, when your loved ones come to know Jesus. I tell you, it's the greatest joy. When, 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 when my parents gave their hearts to Christ, I tell you, it's, it, it's, it's a more ecstatic experience than if I could say winning the lottery. I've not won one, but I, I could just imagine having the best food. I could, I could tell when, when Andre's brother comes to know Christ that that would be the day of his life and for Daisha as well. I'm quite sure. And for most of you, it's the same. So I've been praying for your parents for years now. I tell you, if I offer you a million bucks versus your parents coming to know Christ, if you're truly tasted of the goodness of God, you will say, I will choose my parents coming to know Christ. To be really honest, we know that in Christ we have got what the world cannot offer us. The third reason is because there is danger if we fail to tell them, not just for their soul, but for ours as well. So the danger to ourselves because one of the secrets, and I want to say this, and I, I totally believe that we are saved by grace through faith, and it's not our own work lest we should boast. But friends, one of the secrets to growth in the Christian life is activity. One of the secrets to health in your physical life is activity. Hello? If all you do is to sit and do nothing, believe me, you will grow overweight and you would fall over and die. Amen. And what's true in the natural is true in the spiritual. We can eat all we want of the wonderful finest of the wheat, the Bible says. The most delicious revelation from, from the restaurant called Bethel. We can download the best menu from the best chefs in the world. People like Stephen Fatick and Joseph Prince. We eat all we want, but if we don't work out our faith, we'll all be overweight Christians and we'll die. The secret to strength and growth in the Christian life is activity. If we lie down and do nothing for the cause of Christ and His kingdom, trust me, friends, we will grow weaker and weaker until we lose all interest for Jesus, lose our passion for His kingdom, and we will one day be lukewarm. And the Bible says, I'll spill you out of my mouth. And that's not judgment. That's you chose yourself not to remain fruitful in the vine. Amen. I know, that, I know that that's challenging, but it's true. See, one of, one of the greatest requirements of the Christian life is service. Friends, we aren't saved by works, but we are saved to work. We're saved to work. If I've not worked in the last 10 years, I wouldn't have grown in my faith. I wouldn't have seen the miracles and the breakthroughs and I wouldn't have all the stories. We are safe to work. Jesus came not to be served, but what? To serve and give. These are all action verbs, amen? Action words. To serve, to give. His life as a ransom for many. We were safe 
to serve. See, friends, we weren't saved merely that we might escape hell and go to heaven. That would be pure selfishness. Unless we go and tell others our love for Jesus will grow cold and we become indifferent. And the world, my friends, the city church, the world is dying for our message. Souls are perishing without Christ. One evening, William Booth was walking in London with his son Bramwell who was then 12 or 13 years old. The father surprised the son by taking him into a saloon or a pub or a bar. The place was crowded with men and women, many of them bearing on their faces the marks of vice and crime. Some were drunk. The fumes of alcohol and tobacco were poisonous. Willie Booth said to his son, These are our people. These are the people I want you to live for and to bring to Christ. Years later, Bramwell Booth wrote, The impression never left me. In fact, Charles Spurgeon, and we all love Charles Spurgeon, don't we? The prince of preachers. He says, Have, we, have you no wish for others to be saved? And he says it strongly. And I want this to affect you, to be offended. I want you to be offended by these, these words as much as he has offended me. Have you no wish for others to be safe? Then you're not safe yourself. Be sure of that. Strong words. Was he right? We only know when we stand before Christ on that day. I don't know. But one thing I know as I close, a church on fire is a church that, that wins souls. That thing, I know. How much fire do we have in this church? Very little. But better late than never, right? We are called to be the city. Why? Because of, of the verse, we're on a hill that can't be hidden. Show and tell. Live and, live and show. Arise and shine. Come and see. But go and tell. See, it's easy to determine when something is aflame. It ignites other material. Any fire that does not spread will eventually what? Go out, die out. And a church without evangelism is a contradiction in terms. Just as, the, just as a fire that does not burn is a contradiction. It reminds me of what Wesley said, I'll set myself on fire, the world will come and see me burn. Are people attracted to you, to your witness? When you invite them to come and see, will they come? When you go and tell them, does your work carry weight and authority? Or they say, ah, hypocrites. See, without the first leg, the world would say Christians are all hypocrites. They say one thing, they do another. Hypocrites, right? Haven't we heard that? Haven't we said that for some of us who weren't believers then? We've said that. Looking at the, the people around us, ah, hypocrites. Until we, we came to know Christ and we tasted what is real. And then we start saying, come and see. And So let me give us a challenge. Let, let us live a life that's worthy of the gospel. Salty and shiny lives that attract the world to Jesus. Let us invite our friends, come on, and family. Those whom Jesus loves. Hey, when I read the story of Peter, one of 
Jesus' first miracles, when, when Jesus went out of his way to heal Peter's mother-in-law. Do you know that story? Sometimes I, I wonder, why is it in the Bible? You know, like, Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law. It was very specific. It was very specific. He was healing, there was, there was a crowd in the house, he was healing everyone. Then there was a story of Peter healing, of Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law. And without any deep revelation, all I know is this, Jesus loves Peter's mother-in-law. <laughs> Jesus loves your mother-in-law. You may struggle with your mother-in-law. <laughs> Jesus loves your mother-in-law. Come on, Constance. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> delete, delete. Come. Come on, Daniel. No, I'm just kidding. Jesus loves. Jesus, G, G, Jesus loves. There's only one person I can make fun of, right? It's, I mean, I'm only one person, so I'm sorry, Cons. You're, you're the only person I could think of. But Jesus loves our mothers, our fathers, our uncles, our aunties. He would stop, make, he would stop doing all the miracles, and you know, because your mother is sick, Jesus, Jesus would, would come. Let us invite our friends and our family into our homes. Start by opening up your house as a place of ministry, a place of grace, of glory, a place you know, of miracles. Amen. Invite them in. Invite them to your life groups. Life group leaders, invite people to your life groups and show them what the kingdom of God looks like. Church, invite them for our Sunday. Let them experience the passion, the power, the presence, the purpose that we have. And encourage them to try Alpha. Bring them on Thursday. Bring them and let them see how, how friendly we are, how non-judgmental we are as a people. We have never judged. On my table on Thursday, there, there, there was a lady you know, who was processing with us her faith. And there was so much grace and patience in that table. And I was sharing our story, but without telling her that she's wrong, we are right because we have got no right to do that. All we do is we witness. And finally, let us go and tell it on the mountains this Christmas, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is Lord. Christmas service. Start inviting people and we will tell it on the mountain. Christine, Andre, they will sing, go tell it on the mountain. But let's go tell it on the mountain. Different version, different style. We will rap it. We will techno it. We will do whatever it, it is to be relevant. But let's go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? Amen. Evangelism is a three-legged stool. We need all three legs from our witness. Amen? To us inviting people. That's low-hanging fruit. To us going and telling our friends.